0: Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid.
1: This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole nother thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet,
0: at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me.
1: Get outside, go for a walk, get some vitamin D, breathe some fresh air, uh, and and stay happy and healthy and and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. (laughs) Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I am joined by the brilliant and my ever-wonderful friend, Judy Show. We are going to talk today... Actually, Judy, I want to talk to you about inflammation. It's a term that I, I use it often, and I don't even know if I necessarily understand the depths or how broad it covers. I think a lot of people use terms as like, oh, carnivore healed my inflammation, or I used to struggle with inflammation. I think when I use it, it's... um in terms of like joint swelling and I've experienced acne and I kind of relate that to inflammation, but I'm not really sure if that's accurate or, you know, swelling and all that different kind of stuff. So I wanted to break it down today. I have probably have a bunch of questions for you as you talk about it, but I think that it's one of those words that we often use and yet maybe we don't understand like all that it encompasses. And so we're talking about inflammation today, y'all. Essentially, as simple as it is, it's inflammation is just the body's
0: response to a problem. So it's very normal. Um, It's an important response from the body that basically it's signaling to the immune system that something's wrong. It can be an invader. It can be an infection. It could be because of an injury. Like if you, for example, get the flu and you run a fever, that's um, your body is being inflamed so that your immune system then rushes to that area to then start healing. And so, for example, when you eat something bad and then you get loose stools and runny stools, um, that's also inflammation. And, And so that in a nutshell is basically what the overarching definition of inflammation is. And so where it starts becoming a big issue is when it becomes chronic. And so the two different kinds of inflammation is one, it's acute where, you know, it's short, um, likely severe, um, and, and it's often an injury. So let's say you're walking and you twist your ankle and then, you know, your ankle swells, your body is basically sending a lot of the immune response so that your body will start healing that area. And it's telling you with the swelling, get off your foot, stop walking on it so we can do healing. And, and then the symptoms appear and then they'll essentially disappear quickly. And so that's an acute, it's an immediate inflammation response. And then you're kind of over it.
1: Or if you had like, if you um, worked out and you're sore the next day, like maybe that's acute, but it's not uh, as severe, obviously, because it's more just your muscle strain or it's yes. re- repairing or healing that specific area that you've exercised, which is why they'll say like, don't do leg day two days in a row, or like, don't work the same muscle a couple of days in a row because of the fact that you don't want to cause an injury to that area. Let it heal. That's exactly it. So when you work out, you're you want your muscles to expand
0: and some fibers to kind of break so that then your body will use inflammation to heal it. And then your muscles will grow stronger. And so that's why that type of inflammation is a net positive. So your muscles grow from that, that strain. So the issue we have with our general health and wellness is because we have chronic inflammation. So chronic inflammation is slower, there's less symptoms. So it's like, how, Laura, when you mentioned that when you eat carbs, for example, you'll feel a little bit of bloating or general unwellness. Maybe you have a little bit of joint pain. And so this, I guess, the umbrella of chronic inflammation is where Um, it lasts a lot longer. Um, There may not even really be an acute injury or um, a specific part of the body that you're saying it hurts all the time. Um, It can also just be that you wake up and you have chronic pain in your back. And then oftentimes that's chronic inflammation. So chronic inflammation um, essentially damages healthy cells, uh, tissues, organs. And over time, that's what leads to disease such as diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, and heart disease. And a lot of people argue that the immune system is basically in hyperactive mode. And then that's what then will cause autoimmune disease. And then um, it's, it's stemming from chronic inflammation.
1: So I had back surgery as a, when I was a teenager, I had, was in a car accident and like had a bulging disc essentially from that. And then ended up with a couple different back surgeries when I was, you know, in my late teens. And so for 10 years after that, I just had back pain. And it was one of those things that was like, well, you're just always going to have back pain. And it got, even doctors like give you prescription after prescription. They didn't know what to do other than pain pills at that point. And so I kind of just dealt with back pain. You you know, you're like 20 and you're 30 years old. And especially during my pregnancies, it was pretty severe, but that I think is a a result of a lot of inflammation. And it's one of those things where, you know, we'll get into like how to get over this, but going carnivore, I never expected my back pain to go away. And I haven't had back pain in years and years uh, now because of being carnivore. And so it's just, it's, I still am shocked about that change. When I was in college,
0: I went to the doctor, they said I had a herniated disc, but I never fully got better. So ever since then, my back hurts every once in a while and it took carnivore or eating a meat-only diet and now I never get back pain. I do notice if I ever add some veggies, then basically I'll have, my back pain will kind of start coming back and I can feel it. And it's that's an example of that chronic inflammation. So what started with maybe a, Momentary injury, now you just might be more sensitive in that area because maybe it didn't properly heal, or that now that's where you're going to get the chronic inflammatory response.
1: Oh, absolutely. And if again, if I eat non carnivore foods, I get that muscle or that back stiffness in the morning where you wait. I mean, for years, I would wake up in the morning and I couldn't fully stand all the way upright. And couldn't just stand up straight for like an hour. And it took like all this time of working my body up. And so it's not that severe anymore. But if I were to eat things that aren't uh, animal foods, that back stiffness, I wake up in the mornings and I was like, oh man, there we go. There's some back stiffness back in my life again. So we need to get back strict again. When I
0: learned muscle testing in nutritional therapy um, school and your lower back, uh, that pain that you feel there is a sign of endocrine imbalances. So when your adrenals, which, you know, again, pumps out the cortisol, when there's a higher level of that, then you will feel the inflammation in your back. So if you constantly feel lower back pain, it could be a sign of excess stress in the body. It could be, you know, just mental stress, emotional stress, and even stress from certain foods that trigger trigger
1: inflammation. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm, stress shows up in like forms for headaches for people, and yeah. uh, a lot of shoulder pain. I get a lot of shoulder neck pain and headaches from that. But back pain is an interesting place for that to manifest. That's I'm sure a lot of people deal with that that don't realize that's what the the root cause is.
0: Yeah. So if we were to think about inflammation, like, well, what causes inflammation, right? So we obviously talked about a acute injury. So if you twist your ankle, you get in a car accident, all of those things, your body is saying you're in pain. And I want you to be in pain because I want you to lay off that part of the body so we can do some healing. So essentially what happens with processed foods and a lot of the seed oils and excess sugar, all of that causes micro doses of inflammation in the body, it could alter the bacteria that lives in the gut, um, it could affect our interaction with our immune system. We ha- we have that podcast episode where we talked about how too much sugar can um, derail our immune system, and it just functions less ideally. And then um, if you're eating seed oils, or, you know, oils that are basically rancid, meaning that they're not stable anymore. And what that really means is that electrons like to be paired. And when oils are now no longer normal, or they're no longer natural, they may be unpaired. So when they come into your system, they may try to steal an electron from a different part of your body, or they may just try to adhere to a healthy cell. So essentially, when you're eating these bad seed oils, that's what then stems inflammation. So the body identifies something's coming into our body, we need to go fix that just like if your ankle is hurt and then we will produce inflammation over there so that then we can heal that part of the body. And it's a normal process, but the issue becomes when we chronically do that. So when we're chronically eating vegetable oils or we're chronically eating processed foods, then we're introducing low doses of toxins to the body and the body responds with inflammation. And eventually the body is like, I'm done. And now you're going to feel disease.
1: Yeah. One of the things I know you address in carnivore cure is safer foods. Like, if you're going to introduce foods, like what foods those could be. And they're the ones that are the lowest in toxins. And so, things that are not going to cause this kind of response. So, I mean, I know for me personally, things that cause this easiest and quickest are the nuts and the peanut butter, which we've now learned why I'm upset, like, why that's my go to food, my deep rooted childhood uh, issues. And so, there are a lot of plants that cause that too, like vegetables, things that cause inflammation, things that if my mom eats them, like she eats peanuts that have so many toxins in them and she's going to, um, her arthritis is going to start acting up again and all her joints are going to start hurting. So those are foods that are going to be a lot more likely to cause those issues. Uh, and then other chronic things.
0: Yeah. So that's where the anti-nutrients come in, right? What Some of it does is it binds to minerals. So if you're eating a lot of spinach, well, it has an anti-nutrient like oxalates that bind to iron. So then you will not absorb the iron. And then over time, the lesson learned would be, okay, I don't need to eat spinach for iron. And therefore I'm not going to eat this plant. That's one. But then there's also other anti-nutrients like lectins and phytates, and they also cause inflammation. So lectins, um, they're notorious for causing inflammation in the gut. They may affect the cell wall lining lectins are known to basically break that barrier. That's why lectins and phytates and certain anti-nutrients in plant-based foods, they're recommended that if you have inflammation, if you have some certain food sensitivities, they recommend not eating these foods for this very reason. The, The basic foundational culprit is that they will
1: cause inflammation in the body and then illness. And so other than like, I know peanuts are a big one or any kind of nuts, like what other foods have a lot of lectins in them? Beans,
0: nuts. So these also have I think of anti nutrients. The main ones that are really severe for most people are lectins, phytates, and oxalates. And then from there you can think of the other antinutrients will be um it'll be dependent on the person. But those main ones They're in nuts, they're in beans, they're in grains, they're in seeds. Now there's some veggies that will have it and it'll be really specific, but in terms of lectins, so that's one thing I know a lot of people in the carnivore space, they start eating squash as one of their first safe foods. Squashes are unfortunately really high in lectins. So if you've ever followed the work of um, uh, Dr. Gundry, he has that plant paradox, you know, he's kind of plant-based, but he's very anti-lectins in his list of foods, he will say, do not eat any type of squash. You know, if you are very sensitive to gut permeability and you have joint pain and you probably don't want to eat any type of squash because they are very high in lectins.
1: One of the things I think that's unfortunate about, so there's this phenomenon, I guess, in the vegan community Um, and it's kind of a combination of like veganism versus body positivity movement where they do a lot of, I see a lot of those vegan influencers doing posts like about normalizing bloating and like, this is my body. And then I ate a big salad, giant plate of vegetables. And then look, I'm so bloated and you get bloated and I get bloated and we're normalizing bloating. And while I'm all for being positive and looking for healthy, you know, I think healthy is not thin necessarily. It's not, you know, like healthy doesn't equal thin and vice versa. Um, I like, there are good aspects of this body positivity movement, but then there are other things like this that are harmful. It is not healthy. Your body is having a negative response. If you're getting massively bloated, if you go from being a normal flat stomached woman, which I am not, but if you do to being a, a, looking like you're six months pregnant after you eat, like that's not normal because it's common doesn't mean that it's normal or healthy. And if I'm eating things that are not good for me, I get that my belly can swell up and puff out. If I eat carbs, if I eat something that's just processed crap, my belly will get giant and rock hard. And I look like I'm six months pregnant and it's because my body's having a negative reaction to what I've eaten and it's eating a bunch of garbage. And so just because it's a big giant salad, that was the click for me when I stopped eating salads and stopped eating a lot of the vegetables was because I realized after I ate, that didn't happen. And I tried to add a salad back in and instantly got that like rock hard, bloated pregnant belly and went, holy crap, maybe I should look into this carnivore thing more. And I think that, I think we have to remember that, normalizing something isn't always necessarily a good thing and it doesn't it does absolutely doesn't mean it's healthy
0: fiber will make you bloat but there should be an extent to it right so if you feel really bloated after a meal like you were saying with salad there's a chance that some of it is the the anti nutrients or the toxins in plants that they don't want to be eaten, and so you feel that bloating, that uncomfortable feeling, the gas. I mean, one of the ways to diagnose SIBO is by that uncomfortable bloat after a meal. Um, certain plant foods they produce gases like methane and hydrogen will then cause illness. And so the way to eradicate some of that illness is by not eating certain foods. There's a you know, SIBO-friendly diet or like the elemental diet. In In terms of that normalizing, it's not ideal because, and that's what I started the whole Carnivore Cure book. It starts off with how we normalize asthma and eczema in kids. And it's actually a newer illness that is run more rampant. And I, I cite that in New York City in the early 1900s, it became the disease or illness amongst kids, but it's become so normalized that kids have asthma, kids get allergies, kids um, get eczema and it's normal, but it's, it's maybe common, but common does not mean normal. And that is illness in the body that's saying something that you are doing or eating or exposed to, your body is not happy with is producing inflammation.
1: And that's why then it becomes harder for your lungs to breathe. So the things like eczema and asthma, those could also be uh, inflammation related. Is that what yes. you're saying? Those could be a result of that? Yes. So eczema is
0: technically an autoimmune response.
1: So it's, and I see it
0: in my kids. If my kids eat very clean and no gluten, they have nothing wrong with their skin. And our family tends to have eczema. So when my kids eat, like, let's say they eat grains for a few days, soon after start getting eczema in the most common spaces. So the back of your elbow, um, back behind your knees, like that's where a lot of people get eczema. And so it's the easiest way for me to go, oh, look, you guys have been eating a lot of grains or not ideal foods. You're getting inflammation, you're getting eczema around your legs. And they notice it because they start scratching and that's how I can tell that they're getting it. And their body
1: is reacting to the foods that they eat. It definitely shows up for me in terms of acne. I get like pretty severe breakouts on my face. What's interesting. I never once had acne growing up as a kid, like going through puberty. And then I went to college and I always joked like who starts getting acne when they're 20. And then I experienced it all through my twenties and into my thirties. And it was pretty severe. I mean, I have some pretty nasty pictures and I have some pretty severe scars on my face from some, um, some acne breakouts. And then I realized now looking back on it, well, that's because I grew up on a farm and we ate bread, but like my mom made our bread. We never ate in restaurants. I wasn't allowed to have a lot of sugar. You know, we grew all of our own vegetables. So while there was toxins in there, I was a really healthy kid and we were eating very clean when I was growing up. Well, then I went to college and I lived across the street from a taco bell and you know, it's all downhill from there. So right. for the first time I had access to like unlimited processed junk food and that showed up. And I, I really spent, I mean, I tried prescriptions and uh, creams and trying everything. I thought it was the makeup and change your pillowcase every three days and everything. But it wasn't until I changed my diet that those things went away. And like my face completely swells up at, for a couple of days. And then I start getting these massive breakouts. Um, and even now, if I eat things, you can always tell, my face never lies because it just gets really puffy and then starts breaking out. We always talk about the gut
0: microbiome. That's where most of our, you know, the little bugs live that help us to be healthy, right? Like we've evolved with that. Well, our bigger organism is our skin. So our skin has its own microbiome. And um, so everything we touch, it, um, it absolutely affects us. And so In college, if you were now in a new dormitory with maybe less air and you had less access to these probiotics that were probably in your farm, you know, around the animals that were natural, that were healthy, and so now you don't have that as much, now you're also eating these toxic foods that can cause inflammation that is affecting the microbiome of your skin. And then also if you were using sanitizers, and then that also eradicates a lot of the good and bad um, microbiome of your skin. So all of that can then cause skin breakout. There's like layers of your skin and hormones, toxins, your microbiome of your overall skin. Um, And then even like people that you live around, they have imbalanced guts and
1: skin. Um, It can affect you as well. That's interesting. I see that with Nathaniel too. Like he definitely... You know, our kids eat a pretty flexible uh, diet, but when the cleaner his diet is, he gets those kind of same skin rashes and stuff that your kids do, or like a little eczema. His skin is so sensitive uh, for being a little redhead.
0: I think if anything, we can't normalize things that shouldn't be normalized. It may be common. It may be common to wake up with aches and pains and, oh, this is new. I guess this is what happens when you're older. That is just, it's simply misinformation. I mean, we can be healthy until we're older. And sure, we may not be as agile as we get older, but that doesn't mean that we have to suffer from aches and pains as we age. It's That's not normal. And just because we see it as common, that doesn't mean it should be normalized. If your gut protrudes, I don't know, like a foot outward after you have a meal, that is not normal. And um, that can actually be an indication of SIBO. Maybe that was part of
1: my issue. I didn't even realize it back in the day. I know that really inflammation, I can tell, I guess, if I'm carrying inflammation is a term I often use. Like I retain a lot of water that way too. Uh, I think that's why when people switch to carnivore or keto, that water weight that you lose, that's really just a release of inflammation from what I understand is so your body's just kind of like flip that switch where it's just releasing all that water that you're retaining uh, or releasing all that stuff that you're holding in your system. And so that's where that first flush can usually come from when you switch to a low carb or keto diet you're just dropping that inflammation and then after that you work on like burning actual fat takes a little bit longer and so that's where the consistency matters more of of being in that fat burning mode but that's usually where i start feeling better kind of once you kind of drop that initial tightness then i feel like i don't feel like as swollen i don't feel as tight my f- pants fit better especially i have so much loose skin on my stomach that when I retain a lot of water or have inflammation or things that are causing inflammation, I carry so much of that. It all kind of, maybe like you said, it all floods to my stomach because that's where it can store itself or something. I don't know, but I can change like dramatic pant sizes just by going in and out of that because um, of how my body carries that water weight.
0: One thing that sugar and f- like fructose does, even from fruits, Essentially, the reason why these are inflammatory is because of its effect on insulin. And I'm very excited to share posts in the future, in the upcoming weeks. So I don't know if it'll be out by the time this podcast airs, but I've been doing a lot more research about gout and uh, uric acid because I've been getting clients that all of a sudden are having gout flares, and it's because they have more inflammation. And when I'm, what I'm finding out is they eat some organ meats, they're eating meats with purines, which. By itself, purines will increase your uric acid, but there's not a big deal with that unless there's other items in the body that are facilitating insulin resistance. And one of those things that can exacerbate the excess uric acid in the body is fructose, which is from fruit. So people that are eating a carnivore diet with higher purines in the meats that then become uric acid, it's not as big of a deal because there's not as much insulin resistance with that. But if you start coupling that with lots of fruit, lots of honey, lots of excess sugar, now you're causing an inflammatory response from the effects on insulin because of the fructose. I realize why there are certain carnivores that are now getting more gout episodes or rheumatoid arthritis flares because they're eating fruit plus liver, which has even higher levels appearing per ounce
1: plus meats. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, you can't see Judy's face, but I can't. And <laughs> trust me, we both feel very strongly about the fruit. And if you haven't listened to those episodes, go back and, and hit them up or like the liver. And so, yeah. you know, the people who are doing carnivore with lots of liver and lots of fruit, definitely, uh, is a lot of toxins that are happening there and pe- this is where people have to figure out what works for them um and so this there's a lot of options there's so much information it's not that everybody has different information that can be overwhelming but it's this is where things are happening like you got to i don't know I'm going on a rant now but you just have to know where you're getting that information from
0: if you eat like one fruit a day or one spoon of honey maybe you can handle it obviously if there is an addiction addictive side which we can get into later but then you may not be able to eat that one spoon, but I have people or I have clients that some of them are when I get down to it, they tell me they eat carnivore and they're eating like eight tablespoons of honey. That is not ideal for anyone. I'm sorry, I think that's just too much fructose. And again, I will share graphics that um, explain this process with gout and uh, uric acid, and it's um, it's not and the bigger thing is it facilitates insulin resistance, and I think that is the risk when you eat a high meat diet plus fruit. I think the bigger thing I want to really bring up with inflammation is if you are working on reducing inflammation, but you're also really stressed, one thing is that um, with excess cortisol from just being overly stressed, that also causes inflammation. And it's a chronic, cortisol outputs cause chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation will cause cortisol outputs. And and then what ends up happening is it causes more gut dysbiosis and, and then hormones being imbalanced. So if you don't manage that inflammation, whether it's perceived, whether it's real, whether it's in the body, whether it's mental, that stuff will affect your thyroid. It will affect your gut. If you keep getting leaky gut, no matter how clean you're eating, that can be an indication. Chronic inflammation is something that can really, I think it's the root cause of all disease. And um, there's even a syndrome called chronic inflammatory response syndrome, where basically people's immune system is chronically in inflammation because they're reacting to everything at a certain point after a certain point of illness. Now their immune system is just responding to everything. And it's their actual immune system's response of inflammation that is causing now root cause illness, and they are not getting better from anything, even a meat only diet.
1: Wow. That's great. That's, that would be scary. What, so I think based on how you feel is a big part of it. Like for me, I can tell if I'm carrying inflammation now, because I guess I know the difference and because I felt good enough. Um, if I'm not having all those issues that I've talked about, but if you're somebody who's don't, if you don't know, like, are the issues that I'm having caused by inflammation? Like, how do you tell, is there like, what's the way to measure if you have inflammation in your body other than just based on how you feel? Yeah, so you could get blood work done, and
0: there's um, blood work that's a direct inflammatory response, and then there's ones that are, um, I guess, tangential, meaning that it's not a direct response, but it's normally related to an inflammatory response. Obviously, the one that everyone seems to know these days is the C-reactive protein, so the hypersensitive but in terms of carnivores, I see CRP really low. Um, if there's chronic inflammation in the body, you will definitely see your CRP go up. And that is one indication that something's up. You want that number to be ideally less than one. Ferritin is also a marker that people use. It's related to iron, but they use that to see if your, how your inflammation is doing. There are some people that have higher ferritin on a car- carnivore diet, especially if you're a man, your iron levels are high and your ferritin is high. It might just be that you're not recycling the iron well. This is where you may have to donate blood. But for other people, the serum ferritin may be a sign of inflammation. The other one is called serum protein electrophoresis. So it's SPE. Um, this is considered the best to confirm chronic inflammation. I don't know how common it is. I don't even run this test with my clients. I normally run the normal um, blood marker panel and then the C-reactive protein. But that will allow you to understand um, how much uh, chronic inflammation you have. And then too much or too little of these proteins can point to inflammation in the body. You can use cholesterol as an inflammatory sign. You can use homocysteine LDH, but essentially there's a number of markers you can use um, to test if you have inflammation. I think insulin markers are a good one to check as well. Um, GGT for your liver um, imbalances, but all of these and fasting insulin and a1c as well.
1: So we're not suggesting to you all that you run out and get all these tests, right? Like the best thing you can do is go based on how you feel. it you know you can be confident that you're Um, if you're not having stiffness and you're feeling great and you have great digestion and great skin, like those are all amazing indicators that you have low inflammation in your body. If you're having chronic problems, if you're having things like fatigue or skin issues or autoimmune issues, all these things that we've talked about that are chronic and just not going away, that's a good time when you could talk to your doctor and get some of those things checked, Uh, especially if they're just trying to give you prescriptions. You know, you could drill down a little bit with a couple of these things and then try to see if diet is a big part of it. I also think that the more strict you get, the more you can pinpoint if inflammation is causing those things. So try a period of time where you're being 100% strict carnivore, Even things like dairy, maybe cut that out for a time to really get your inflammation as low as possible from the toxin, like, or, you know, from the things that you're eating and then uh, see if there's environmental things that are causing issues for you. Or if there's, you know, if it's something else, there's another root cause for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you think about how inflammation is just a problem in a certain part of the body that the body's trying to fix, then any kind of pain you feel in the body, Um, digestive issues, all of that is an inflammatory response. I think it's pretty obvious to know if you have inflammation. It's, you know, you're going to feel swelling. You're going to feel joint pain. You're going to feel stiffness. You're going to just feel sudden aches when you move. or um, And and the thing is if you the test will be ideal to know how much inflammation, like the I think you could start with the insulin markers, glucose, um, A1C, and then the C reactive protein. They're very basic ones that most doctors will now run. But if you cut down inflammatory foods in your diet, you eat a meat heavy or meat-only diet your inflammation will go down. And if it doesn't go down on a very strict meat only diet, I would look into the chronic inflammatory response syndrome protocol because that may be something that you are dealing with.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess it encompasses a lot more than I thought. I just always thought it was like swelling or muscle pain or ignis and I don't know. I wondered if my skin issues were part of it, but it definitely encompasses a lot. So it's, yeah. I think it's one of the biggest benefits, you know, that I see people experience when they go to a all meat diet is, is relief from a lot of those chronic things, things that they have normalized for themselves. Uh, and there's, there's healing in that. And there's a lot of relief that can happen from being carnivore.
0: Reducing inflammation will go a long way for your health and wellness. Cool.
1: Thanks guys for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and uh thanks for tuning in. Have a good day. Bye guys.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura Eastbath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Spath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura E. Spath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura Spath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain.